Recovery Elevator, episode 379. Yeah, I kind of developed this connection between you know the alcohol and the camaraderie that I was just was unwilling to give up for for anything. Life is always working in your favor. You can't heal in the same environment you became sick. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us today. On today's episode we have Aaron. He's from South Carolina, he's 40 years old, and took his last drink on September 15th, 2021. Yo, how cool is this? I love hearing about people's progress and projects on their AF journeys. Jeff, who was interviewed on episode 104 when he had 55 days of sobriety, and then two episodes ago on 377 when he had five and a half years alcohol-free, he's got a quit-lit book called Finding Bishop Castle, A Road to Recovery, which is on Amazon, and he's also doing sober travel trips to the Dominican Republic. Links to both of these projects are in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. I'd like to give a shout out to David T. Congratulations on 1,000 days, my man. Keep doing it. Keep moving forward. Fantastic job. Before we get any further, let's hear from Exact Nature. Exact Nature was founded by a father and son in addiction recovery. Exact Nature's all-natural CBD products are specially formulated to help you face the exceptional challenges of recovery, and we are so grateful to have them as our sponsor. Beat your cravings with their Detox Blend. If you are interested in learning more, head on over to exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com. Okay, let's get started. There's a metaphor, correction, idiom, that says you can kill two birds with one stone. And side note, do not kill birds. In fact, Chinese communist ruler Mao Zedong in 1958 ordered Chinese citizens to kill sparrows because they were considered pests. The result was a locust outbreak, which consumed the majority of the crops, which resulted in millions of people dying of famine. Oops. Okay, back on track, Pablo. Today I want to talk to you about service, and I think we can accomplish two things at once, hence the idiom. I want to talk to you about planting trees, service, and climate change. Now I may lose a couple listeners today talking about climate change, and that's okay. If we do find ourselves in an ecological catastrophe 10 years from now, then I'm going to be kicking myself into goat blocks for not saying something about it today. Okay, let's cover service. If you've been in the recovery world for a minute or two, you've probably heard that service is a major component of quitting drinking. It is for this primary reason. You get out of your own head. You're not stuck in your own story, which is actually quite addictive in itself. Another is feel-good chemicals such as dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin are released when we help other human beings. Feeling shitty? Well, summer is coming. Go mow your neighbor's lawn. Seriously, we are wired to help people. This helps us connect. Okay, let's talk climate change. This planet, Earth, Gaia, Pachamama, spaceship without a roof, whatever you want to call it, this planet is monitored, measured, and observed, nearly every corner of it. We're not talking opinions, but data. I won't be covering the cause of this or who's to blame because that's a waste of time. However, one thing you have heard me say on this podcast is we don't have to fix climate change, we have to fix ourselves, and I truly believe that. Recovery has given us the wonderful gift of taking a step back from the ego, which is always saying more, more, more. That's the first step for all of us when it comes to healing ourselves. Another way of saying this is recognizing that we are not the ego or the voice inside the head. So the climate has changed. And quick side note, this is not a doom and gloom episode. We have a major opportunity here. Now, 97% of all scientists believe climate change is real and is happening at a much faster pace than we thought. There was a time when 5-10% to of scientists believed in climate change, but as Boutros Ghali says, only stupid people don't change their minds. That's another gift recovery has given us, the ability to admit we are wrong. I have been wrong. I've already been wrong a couple times today. Maybe I'm wrong about this episode. I'll take the chance. Due to the Earth's warming, Scientists estimate dozens of species of plants and animals currently go extinct each day. That sucks. Nearly 1,000 times the natural rate. By mid-century, as many as 30-50% to of the total species found on Earth will have disappeared. Forever. 
Recovery Elevator went to Thailand in 2020, and we visited an elephant refuge. It was awesome. We were told there would be no more elephants in Thailand in the next 20 to 40 years. In 1900, there were 100,000 elephants in Thailand. Today, there are 3,500. Oops. The last seven years have been the warmest on record. 2020 tied 2016 is the hottest year on record, according to NASA. Notably, 2020's temperature level was hit without it being an El Nino year, as it was in 2016. I live near Yellowstone, and since 1950, the annual snowfall in the greater Yellowstone area has declined by 25%, which is nearly 24 inches of snow each year. This is no bueno for forest fire season, which is a thing now, unfortunately. When I first moved to Montana in 2010, maybe there was a couple weeks in the summer with smoke, but now it's nearly the whole summer. In its 2018 special report, the IPCC warned that we only have until 2030 to prevent the worst impacts of climate change. The latest report says we now have only a three-year window or to late 2025. Let me say that again. According to people who are way smarter than me or have dedicated their careers to this, they give us three years to fix this. It's a window that will close. So we are the first generation to experience the effects of climate change, and we are the last generation left to fix it. I'll save you more stats, but if we don't address this ASAP, as in yesterday, it could be of major concern. Is this a crisis? Yes. Is this an existential crisis? In my opinion, yes. Absolutely. Now stick with me, listeners. I know some of you are saying, damn it, Paul, I'm struggling right now to log a full day without alcohol. My stomach is in knots with anxiety, and now I have to save the planet. So just stick with me. I think I can tie this all together. Let's cover crisis for a moment. In Chinese, Sanskrit, in around 25% of the world's 6,000 spoken languages, the word crisis is coupled with opportunity. An addiction is a crisis coupled with the opportunity of a new life that doesn't require numbing agents to live in. Crisis has a dual meaning. Now, where's the opportunity here with climate change? We have to put all the I'm right, you're wrong bullshit aside and work together as one cohesive species or unit on the planet. We had a major opportunity with COVID. For one of the first times in the modern era, we faced an enemy, COVID, that affected us all equally. In my opinion, we blew that opportunity. It was politicized, and somehow COVID managed to divide us even more. So turn off the TV when people start pointing fingers, close the app, or let your local leaders know we're not in the third grade anymore. A little more on crisis. Check this out. In times of crisis, mental health and addiction decline. I first came across this in the book Tribe by Sebastian Younger. Why is this the case? Well, if addiction is disconnection, a crisis forces us to meet, talk, discuss, plan, strategize, connect, and work together. There are memoirs of the London siege bombing in World War II, where London Knights were bombed 59 out of 63 nights in a row. People recount how they felt more alive than ever because their survival depended on working together or connecting. So in my opinion, and I truly believe this, climate change has the ability to save us as a species, to force us to work together and come up with a collective strategy. Maybe alcoholics can help this because there's one thing we can do that others can't, and that's meet together as a group, put all of our differences aside, and talk about healing, recovery, and love. Now, you can't see this, but in my notes, there's a heart emoji. So as you're listening to this, there are probably 200 to 412 step meetings taking place at this very moment where people are more concerned with peace and wholeness than being right. The stuff on TV about this is gross. Fox News, MSNBC are two heads of the same beast. In my opinion, the people tasked with our safety and the well-being of the country and the world completely shit their pants during the pandemic. And it wasn't a one-time crap in the pants either. It kept happening over and over on TV for everyone to see. This was disheartening. I'm not confident governments will solve climate change, but we as individuals can. During the pandemic, we kept on asking, when would we go back to normal again? The way I see it, what we labeled as normal is actually dog shit crazy. What we labeled as normal is an environment where we have to soothe ourselves with external substances to live in. Our ancestors didn't have to do this. So, we are tasked with creating the new normal. One that doesn't foment addiction, mental health, 
inflammations, cancers, and the temperature of the planet to rise or inflame. This is just another type of inflammation. You all are smart and can probably see what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to point out a collective concern that I don't think is fabricated, and that's climate change. Then I'm going to try to unite us in addressing it. Keyword there is unite. Unfortunately, there are major groups that are using this crisis to divide us internally on both sides. Using climate change in this way is disgusting. It's gross. The ego will always set its own trap. However, with this, the collective ego is setting a trap for nearly 8 billion people. And this is me trying to do something about it. Here's what needs to happen, and I think we can do this. We have to hit net zero energy emissions. We do this by having energy emissions each decade. We'd reach net zero by 2050 if we did this. But then we have to keep having our emissions every decade after that to begin the reversal of it. Here's where we can help and be of service. This ties in neatly. I want everyone to plant a tree, and I mean everyone listening. And then send us a photo or tag us on Instagram at Recovery Elevator. Let's leverage technology here as well. So climate change aside, planting a tree is a straight-up gangster move. Here are some quotes. Forests are the lungs of our land. FDR. A man has made at least a start on discovering the meaning of life when he plants shade trees under which he knows he will never sit. Elton Trueblood. God, that's a rad name. Here's another one. The true meaning of life is to plant trees under the shade you don't expect to sit. Nelson Henderson. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is now. And tag recovery elevator. This is a Chinese proverb minus the tag recovery elevator part. Here's another one. A society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never sit. There's a quote from the internet. Couldn't quite find the source. So I'm going to make this simple why planting trees helps. A, we are being of service. You're doing recovery work. You're getting out of your own head and your own story. B, as trees grow, they remove carbon dioxide from the air. Then they store the carbon in the trees and soil. And then they release oxygen into the atmosphere. They have the power to reverse climate change. We have to stop cutting them down and start planting them. In addition, these trees are life. Just like us, they are sentient. In the 1970s, a scientist named Dr. Cleve Baxter attached a polygraph detector to several plants and trees, recording that they can read our thoughts, emotions, and they have their own desires and wishes. It's crazy shit. Do you all remember the children's book with the green cover, The Giving Tree? So good. So yes, we do have a crisis upon us, and this same crisis can also save and unite us. So let's end today's episode on a lighter note. What did the tree wear to the pool party? Swimming trunks. What did the beaver say to the tree? It's been nice gnawing you. How do trees access the internet? They log on or log in. They can also log out and log browsing history. All right, that joke's done. Listeners, before we hear from Odette and Aaron, let's hear from a better way to get help. Let's hear from BetterHelp. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the best online therapy option that currently exists on the market. Mental health matters, and as we continue to live through these stressful times, it has become more and more evident that we need to have someone that can help us process our emotions and navigate the challenges of sobriety. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp provides a broad range of expertise, which may not be locally available in many areas. The platform is super easy to navigate as you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions with your counselor. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. You all know that I'm a big proponent of therapy, so I highly recommend you check it out. Simply visit betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join everyone that is taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Recovery Elevator listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com forward slash 
Elevator. Thank you, Paul, for another great introduction. And Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Aaron to the podcast today. Aaron, how are you? I'm doing great, Odette. Thanks for asking and thanks for having me on. Of course. I'm really glad that we're here. I know that we've had some interactions on social media and I am just genuinely happy that I get to listen to your voice and get to hear your story along with all of the listeners. So I'm glad we're here. Same. And well, yeah, let's get right to it. When was the last time you had a drink, Aaron? So I think September 15th, 2021, which would have me just over seven months. And, you know, I've heard a lot of these podcasts, it's like some, you know, sometimes there's this date that, you know, is etched in everybody's mind. I know for sure that I drank on September 13th. And that was, you know, kind of a memorable situation where I wanted to basically said, you know, I'm going to give this another go here. And I, I can't remember, maybe I had a, a drink the day or two after that. But uh, September 15th is what I'm going with for my date. Sounds good. Well, seven months is quite some time now. How are you feeling after all of those stack days? Uh, just like amazing uh, physically. Uh, I'm definitely in the best shape of my life. I turned 40 this year and I think that was a big impetus, you know, to kind of getting my act together in a number of areas. Just you do that reflecting, you know, every time you have a milestone birthday, or at least I did. And I think I probably had a similar conversation with myself at 30 but didn't have the, the desire commitment, you know, to stick with it. You know, like I said, I'm, I feel like I'm in the best shape of my life. I, I'm down about between 35 and 40 pounds, tons of energy. I just, I can't wait to go to the doctor and like get all new labs and stuff. Cause I, I do, I feel like a million bucks. And while there's other behavioral changes I've made, it all kind of runs through this uh, removal of alcohol from my life you know, because it's either directly or indirectly affecting me in a negative yeah. way. And I've removed all that. So it's, it's been really good. That's really good to hear. And, and I hear you on getting those metrics when it comes to health. We usually in our community talk about how good it feels to answer those little like intake questionnaires when they ask you, how much do you drink? And for years, we've been kind of like lowballing that number. And when you can finally just say, nothing. I'm not drinking. It feels so good. <laughs> so I'm not the only one that lowballs the doctor on those questions. Yeah, I definitely have done that. So it is. It does feel good to just be honest about it. And the answer really is zero. Uh, that's amazing, Aaron. And before we get into your story, just can you give listeners a little background on yourself? Can you let us know where you're calling in from? What do you do for a living? Do you have a family? What are some of your hobbies? How do you have fun? Just some some about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, like I said, I'm 40 years old. I live in Fort Mill, South Carolina, which is right next to Charlotte, North Carolina. And I have a lovely wife of this is our 15 year anniversary coming up this August. I have a 12 year old daughter and an eight year old son. We're extremely into athletics as a, as a household. Uh, both my children play sports and that seems to be the majority of what we're spending our non-working hours doing, either going to a practice or training or a coaching type of situation, uh, which has been great. We've always loved sports, both watching, attending. That rolls right into my, my hobbies. Like I'll literally play any sport you know, all the major ones, but, you know, ping pong, frisbee, you know, miniature golf, like I, I'm down for all of it. That's, that's the majority of, of our hobbies. I love to cook. I always have a recent vegetarian convert about nine months ago. So that's looks a little different now. And then probably the biggest new hobby that's gone right in step with my uh, quitting alcohol is hot power yoga, which is something we have an incredible studio in my town that's uh, kind of became the, probably the biggest thing I've replaced alcohol with. And it's been very enjoyable. Like, I, I don't think I've really seen myself progress in at one thing as much as, you know, doing this for the past six months has. So I really believe those two things are tied pretty closely together. Uh, and that's kind of my biggest new hobby. Like if we're talking, you know, it's not going to be too long before I tell something about my yoga practice or whatever, which, you know, some people like some people don't, but um, it's become pretty important to me. Uh, that's so cool to hear. Can you do a headstand now or a crow pose? <laughs> I can do both of those things. And that's right at the top of the list of like stuff that when I first started, you know, I was pretty overweight and 
um, not in really great condition that I'd, I would see other people doing that going, yeah, that's not me. But you know, those, those two I can do. Yes. That's so awesome. Yeah. I just, I love yoga. I don't do enough of it, but it's always, you know, you look around the room and there are a few people who can do those more progressed poses and, and yeah, it, I guess it's so cool being able to see yourself progress into doing things and being the kind of person that quote unquote, you had like thought you, that wasn't you. So this is, this is cool. I love hearing that. I also feel like I can relate on the sports and with the kids. Uh, my kids are both in sports as well. And, you know, I feel like it's going to be this way until one of them knows how to drive, just running around from practice to game to another practice to another game. So I'm trying to settle into it. A lot of driving around. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of parents, you know, we kind of joke about that. That's all we do. And kind of like joking, like it's a burden or a pain in the butt, but there really is nothing I'd rather be doing with the time. It just, it is a, a lot when it's like, oh, what are we doing this weekend? Well, one parent's taking this kid here and another parent's taking this kid there. Well, okay, well, what about tomorrow? Oh, same thing tomorrow, right? And then it's back to work on Monday. But as I said, I mean, that's good, wholesome fun and it's quality time with your kids. And there's really is nothing I'd rather do with the time. So uh, it's working out well for us. I'm ju jumping a little bit ahead here, but how has that dynamic changed now that you're not drinking? I mean, were you one of those like drink in a Yeti at games, driving around, like waiting for the day to be over so you could have a drink? You know, how has this dynamic that you seem to be enjoying so much and spending that quality time with your kids changed now that you're not drinking? Yeah, I don't think I can say that, you know, I never, you know, drank after work and then rolled up to a sporting event. You know, in fact, that's kind of one of the things when I look back I and mean, I have some shame about that, you know, but yeah, you know, I would, I would do the Yeti at the swim meets, you know, with the other parents and stuff. And, you know, I think I, I got to a point where, you know, I think I could hide it pretty well, you know, until you can't. And, you know, uh, so I don't want to make it seem like, yeah, I like go and drink at these events, but you know, I have in the past and to now, um, just have it be kind of the furthest thing from the equation is, is a much better situation. But yeah, that's something that, you know, I live in a nice neighborhood with a lot of, a lot of parents of similar age and background and a lot of successful people. And it does seem like that whole concept of like, Hey, well, we're going to be outside and it's going to be sunny. So obviously, you know, we can drink and, and that's fine. And, you know, actually I was working with a therapist for quite some time and you know, I would tell her this stuff. She's like, you know, that's really weird. Right. And I was like, what do you mean? Everybody's doing it. She's like, not everybody. Like most people aren't actually uh, doing that. You know what I mean? And, um, but that's been a, a nice realization to come to that, you know, I kind of thought that everybody was living this lifestyle to a certain extent and it's far from the case. Yeah. It's interesting how we surround ourselves with that normalization and then also attract more of that normalization. And until you fully get out of it, you can really question it. It's, it's tricky for sure. It's hard, especially with parenting and the mommy wine culture, parent, drinking culture, which we comment on here pretty often. But anyway, I, I was just curious, you know, because I do feel like at least for me, getting the data end or unwind, being done with all the mom things so that I could drink was kind of something that was attached to me. And then I realized I don't have to have the that attachment to that urge when I stopped drinking. So it's just been been really neat to kind of like take that take that freedom back and that empowerment to actually enjoying the quality time with their kids because it does go by so fast and as full of sometimes frustration and annoyance that it is, it's also just an instant and next thing you know, they're going to be gone. So uh, I just, I try to just be in the moment so much more. Agreed. I've experienced um, a lot of positive development in that exact, you know, dynamic that you're talking about there. Yeah. And I, like I said, we went off track a little bit, but when it comes to your relationship with drinking, Aaron, when did you start drinking? How did it progress? When did it become a problem or when did you start questioning yourself about it and what got you to start quitting and be here with us? Sure. So, you know, when I, I was, uh, as a young person, um, I would say uh, my parents got divorced when I was one and I lived with my mom most of the time. And I saw my dad every other weekend. And I would say like my mom 
and her husband at the time, you know, it was pretty normal to be drinking, right? Like every Friday, the neighbors would come over for half the hour. We'd go over there. And it's kind of cool as a kid because you get a little more freedom because the parents are kind of distracted with their partying. And but I never really like wanted to do it myself. In fact, I made it all the way up to like my senior year of high school. And there was a time when I was like, yeah, we don't need to drink to have fun. And, you know, I had a group of friends that we literally never did. I mean, I think probably freshman, sophomore year of high school is when most people start drinking as like a norm, like on a weekend to party or, you know, whoever's parents are gone, that kind of thing. I never really participated in any of that. And my senior year, there was a senior play, uh, which I had a small part in it, but you do it more for the camaraderie. And there's always this like legendary cast party at the end, right? So all the people that were in the play, they all go to somebody's house and they drink. And that was the first time I'd ever drank. And I've heard people on this podcast describe this concept of like love at first sight or love at first sip or whatever. Uh, That is pretty much what happened to me. You know, I'm 17 years old. I never really drank before. I had a few beers and I felt like I was like God's gift. Like I'm hilarious. You know, I'm charismatic. I'm having a blast. And it pretty much never really stopped from there. Um, Once I found alcohol and found out how fun it could be, you know, I started to surround myself with people that wanted to do that too. And, you know, that took me right into college and the college I attended was no different than a lot of these party schools where binge drinking is the norm. And, you know, that's not just Friday, Saturday, you know, they start to back it up into Thursday night. And depending on how you structure your class schedule, you can drink even more than that. And I never really had anybody discouraging me too much about it. It was more viewed as like, yeah, it's just what, what people my age do. I think even my parents understood it. Although I will tell you that there is some alcoholism on both sides of my family and both my dad and my grandmother on his side would always tell me, you know, Hey, you're not, we're not a family of normal drinkers, right? Like it's going to affect you differently than it's going to affect other people. You have to keep that in mind. And it probably would be best if you just didn't do it at all. But if you are going to do it, you know, you got to be really mindful of this. And so I had fair warning, but I was just having too much fun. Right. And I got this group of friends that, you know, I'm so close with to this day that literally became like my family and all the best times of our lives that we still like look back to today, we were drinking the whole time. And so I think, you know, I kind of developed this connection between, you know, the alcohol and the camaraderie that I was just was unwilling to give up for, for anything. So, and then, you know, the more friends you meet as you start to get your first job, you know, I would just surround myself with people that wanted to drink too, who wanted to go to happy hour, who wanted to get a bunch of drinks. And so I got a job out of college working in customer service, you know, like answering the phone, 100, 100 phone calls a day kind of thing. And I was 23 years old and I had too much to drink one night and I drove. And I, I totaled the only new car I've, I've ever had, which was a 2003 Honda Accord. I could have been, I could have died easily. I'd had no injuries whatsoever. There's a single car accident on the highway. And I think for a lot of people, that would have been kind of the turning point where you said, okay, this, this just isn't worth it. And I can remember like quitting for maybe like a month just to prove a point right after that. And actually even contained within that month can remember vividly being at a bar one time, ordering like an O'Doul's non-alcoholic beer and hanging out with people and having a lot of fun. And like, I have this placebo effect, like buzz from this, just being here, you know, it's maybe it's not about the alcohol. And I remembered that, but that was 17, 18 years ago now. So obviously that I didn't put it all together and say, Hey, you know, this is just as good. Uh, So slowly over time, I just got back into the drinking and then I ended up getting a job when I was a couple of years later as an outside sales rep, you know, and I'd always wanted to do this to like sell for a living, be out meeting customers face to face and have like the ability to make more money if I performed better. And so I finally got a job that, that did that for me. And it just so happens that one of the best like sales techniques in that industry is to either like wine and dine customers on like on the modest end, but to just, party with them, you know, and you find the right people that like to do that. You go out, you party, you lower your inhibitions, you talk business, you get the order. 
And it's like, wow, this is really effective, you know, and it kind of became my shtick, right? Like that's, that is how I'm going to sell, right? And I remember not too long into that, reaching like June or something like that and having sold enough of what I was doing to say like, even if I don't sell another thing, I'm still going to be okay, right? And I was like, wow, this is, that means whether I sell this or sell something else, like, you know, I never knew what I was going to do for a career. And I was like, this is it. Like, I'm going to be able to feed myself for the rest of my life by being a salesman. And that was like really powerful to me. And, you know, I never had to worry about what I was going to do for a living or what I was going to tell my parents I did for work anymore. Like, I know what I'm going to do. But it was very much tied up in this, this drinking, right? So now my work is drinking and then my social life is drinking. And so that basically it's, you're always drinking, right? It kind of developed like that for a long time. I mean, the company I worked for was very kind of like supportive of, of that. Like you could, you know, take your credit card out and wine and dine a customer and get the order and it was all good. And I think even at times I felt this obligation. It's like, dude, I'm, I don't even have to pay to drink top shelf liquor. Like I got to do it, you know? And I just got, that just became the norm for me. Tolerance built up, you know, like, you know, for me to have a good time, I have to have 10 drinks. You know, I can have more and, uh, you know, the hangovers and stuff, I was always able to beat them. And, you know, it, w- it was never not worth it to where I would stop. And so I, I think that was where it really became to the point where it's like, well, during the day I work, but I may, you know, grab a lunch meeting, drink there, or like uh, have a sales meeting. You see all your coworkers, you drink there, you know, you come home you want to unwind, you drink there, the weekends here, you want to set up some plans, you drink there. And I'm just drinking all the time, you know, and then that kind of became the norm. And at some point in there, I definitely knew I was drinking way too much, but I never really stopped. You know, I'd go through the cycle of like, Hey, something would happen, right? You get in a bad fight or an ugly incident and you're like, all right, I'm going to cut it out. And then, you know, you would for a little while and then slowly work it back up. And I was in that cycle, you know, probably for 20 years from like 20 to 40. It seems like you, you know, from that initial seed that was planted from that warning from your parents to you kind of like acknowledging it, but also like you said, having a lot of fun. And then these moments of clarity that come and go like they do for so many of us. Was this just always you with yourself or did you ever have a moment where perhaps you had a conversation with someone and said, you know, I think I'm drinking too much or did anybody reach out to you? It seems like for, from what I'm hearing, it was mostly just like something that was happen, happening internally with you. It still probably wasn't affecting other people. So it, was, it, was it that the case? I think that's fair for the most part that it was mostly that internal struggle and, you know, some of that cognitive dissonance where like, you know, you want to stop, but you can't. Yeah. And, but certainly my wife was always there to kind of walk me through like, Hey, last night was pretty bad, you know? And she would always tell me like, you know, cause I think what, what definitely happened to me is, you know, I had some probably social anxiety or inhibitions. And then if I would drink, I would be like so gregarious and fun. And, you know, I really believed that like, that's me. And in order to be that way, this person I want to be, I got to be drinking. And she would always tell me, she's like, you think that, but like, you're brutal. Like you're, you're dull. You're not yourself. It's not funny. So, you know, I, I was actually at the business dinner like two weeks ago and I as being sober, I could like literally watch the progression between like, you know, an hour into the meal, everybody's clicking on all cylinders. Like they're buzzing just right. They're actually having good ideas. You know, they're being open and candid and like some of these positive things are happening. And then like an hour later, you know, it's a total shit show. And so I think that, you know, I would always associate it with that early phase where you're kind of in the groove and then kind of downplay the the shit show component. And she's always telling me like, you know, you're more interesting, you're more funny, you're more enjoyable to be around when you don't drink. And I just never believed her. Never truly brought, bought into that, you know, as the reality. But I can tell you now for sure, I know that she was right. Because that was the, the biggest thing that I was so scared to give up. I was like, I'm not going to be funny. I'm not going to be interesting. I'm not going to have courage. You know, I'm not going to be any of these things that make me, me. And, you know, I've put together a very successful sales career for myself. And I, I really believe that that would be in jeopardy if I stopped. Yeah. You know, and, and the, the reality, or let me know what your experience is, but then when you do sober up, 
not only at work meetings, but also at social events. I like telling people, you know, it it is a little awkward at first. It does take a different type of, you know, loosening up and settling into good conversation and, and drinking certainly does help kind of accelerate that process. But like you said, it's almost like, it helps start that process, but then everything goes sideways. And then when you go into these things sober, it may feel a little bit awkward at the beginning, but then there's like this sustained level of things things getting better or the conversation lasting longer. It's almost like reverse. Like it's kind of hard at the beginning when you're sober and then it gets easier. And then when you're drinking, it's easy because you're drinking right into it. And then, and then it gets hard because things just kind of get kind of sloppy. <laughs> A hundred percent. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you just said. And it, it does take some getting used to, you know, as opposed to like, hey, I'll go right up to anybody because, you know, I don't have a care in the world because I feel great, you know, to to just having to live with your nervous feelings or, or anything else. But I, I, I think it's been incredibly effective to where now I think there was a gentleman on from New Jersey a couple of weeks ago. He talked about how like the drinking really crushed his confidence and he could like hardly look at somebody in the eye and now he's like we'll go right up to anybody and that that's how i feel too it's it's kind of been a 180 it's totally different than what i expected but yeah i have an additional confidence that i never had because i know that uh, i'm not going to like slip up or and then even if i do the worst thing that can happen is like an honest mistake right as opposed to like hey you created this negative situation or you said this thing you shouldn't have said because you were drinking you know and that, that's that's been a nice change of pace for sure yeah, that transparency. I mean, and that confidence and self-esteem does get impacted, you know, the more we drink. I noticed that when I'm being dishonest in my sobriety, that gentleman said that he couldn't even look at people. I noticed I can't even look at myself. Like in the mirror, I feel like I'm so avoidant even with myself because I know, you know, so it it does become this thing where like you said it's not a it's not a matter of whether you slip, it's more of a matter of being transparent and honest and just having having your own back and 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 being accountable to yourself basically so what ended up happening after time in this dissonance you know did you have something that made you really consider quitting or how was that moment for you yeah so I, what i think happened is I, I took a different position like i had elevated up through like management at my previous company and things had changed to where I wanted to sell again. I wanted to be in sales again. And I, I managed to make that happen for myself where I got a new job, a new company. And you know the schedule flexibility, I basically have total schedule flexibility. Like I have 24 hours in the day to get my work done. So, you know, what was happening is, you know, I'd maybe cut out of work a little bit early and, you know, do some work like late at night to make up for it or even start the day early. Whatever I need time-wise to get my work done, I would do. And so I would cut out a little early, say like, you know, instead of leaving at five, I'll leave at four and I'll drink for an hour before I go home. And, you know, I started kind of getting into that routine. And I think, you know, my tolerance just kind of has got to the point where like, you know, maybe instead of drinking singles, I'm drinking doubles. And like, you just blow right through that, that manageable point. To where like my wife would notice like you know she could literally be like did you drink today and you know most of the time i would tell her the truth sometimes I, I would say no even if i did but like she was noticing and it was happening with a frequency where it's like okay we both know i like to drink but like okay so like are you doing this every day like how often are you doing this and yeah it just got to the point where like for me to drink the way i wanted to i was going to be visibly you know drunk and i couldn't really like hide it. And it, I never like wanted to be doing it really. But when I was getting kind of called out a little more, I was like, all right, I'm really going to like, I'm turning 40. This is perfect. Like, I'm really going to, going to cut this out. But I really like up until the end, I, nothing horrendous happened, but would like to give an example of some of like the, where I was at, like I was seeing uh, a therapist that, that specialized you know, in alcohol recovery and she and herself has been in recovery for like 20 years. And I'd love to talk a little bit more about some of the things she helped me realize, but like I went directly from a meeting like with her and like, we were talking about drinking so much and like, I hadn't quit at this point. I was just like talking through it and stuff and talking about it made me want to drink like so bad that like I left the appointment and like went to the bar and drank, you know what I mean? And so 
as twisted as that sounds, like that's kind of where I was at. And I just was, I definitely had this component of I've had enough, but I also had to battle these like physical cravings and the, the thought loop and the, the pattern that I've like in, ingrained in my brain for 20 years. And I managed to like stop long enough where I got out from under that like spell or that fog or whatever you want to say. And I got on the other side of that and I was like, boy, I really don't want to have to go through that again. Cause like, this feels good. I don't really want to drink that much. And I think that was what it boiled down to is I always really wanted to drink. So I would. Right. And it's like, I had strict parents growing up with a lot of rules. And then now I'm an adult. If I want to drink, I'm going to drink. And now I really don't want to. So like, I'm still doing what I want. I just don't want to. And for me, that's been enough, you know, for seven months at any rate. I have Nothing, a question. like I said, oh. catastrophic happened. Sorry, but it was getting to the point where it's like, this is not a good look, man. Like, yeah. Are you ever going to do anything about this? You're 40 years old. You're going to do it when you're 50, 60. Like, what's going to happen to you? You know, I've always, I was always thinking those things, but just that, that 40th birthday was, was enough of a nudge, I think, to get me over the hump. It sounds... You know, I know one of my first questions was, was this all an internal process? And it sounds like even though things were being pointed out, perhaps by your wife, it did continue to be a decision that you made for yourself. Like you said, these thoughts of, you know, I'm 40, you know, I have to do this. I, I really think that that matters because I guess if your wife making you do it, which is the case for many people, I was very nagging to my husband when his drinking was concerning to me, but I've just really realized that in order for it to be such a, it's already a hard process in order for the resentment to not be there. It does have to come from these conclusions that you arrive to yourself for yourself. So when your wife pointed out things like, have you been drinking? Did you get angry or was it more like, like an, Oh shit, she's right. It would depend. I mean, there were certainly times where I would gaslight her and be like, you know, why would you even ask me that? Like, you know, try to flip it. And there was other times where I was like, yeah, I screwed up. Like, I'm sorry. You know, I'm trying, you know, I, I would give depending on how I felt, but I would be yes. definitely argumentative at times. I would downplay it. I'd say, you know, I'm not really doing anything wrong. I'm not breaking the law. Like I, I've said all that kind of stuff, but there were other times too, where I'd be like, yeah, obviously I'm kind of busted. Um, and cause I would, I would like drink and then I would come and try to do like regular stuff. And then like, if she's watching me, you know, do this and you're not yourself. And it's like, I know you dude, like yeah. for 22 years, like, don't tell me A is B and B is A. Like I'm looking <laughs> right at you, you know? And so I would give different levels of response depending on, on a number of different factors, sometimes, you know, humble and sometimes argumentative. It would just kind of depend. Yeah, that makes sense. It also really has to do with where we're at and if, whether you were feeling any type of guilt or shame or, you know, it, it really does vary. So I appreciate your honesty in, in responding to that. I feel like it depends and it probably depends for your partner as well on how we react. I notice sometimes I got more affected by it than others. So it's just really complicated. But like I mentioned, I'm glad that you arrived to that conclusion on your own for the most part. And And how was that first chapter, first couple of weeks, first month? What helped you start stacking days? So listen, my birthday is like early October. So I probably had two weeks and, you know, as far as like, what was it? So I was seeing this therapist that was extremely helpful to me. She, you know, I, I would say all kinds of things like, well, you know, I got to have, you know, alcohol in the house because, you know, if somebody comes over, like I thought like, oh, I got to be able to offer them beer, white, red wine or liquor. Like I got to have that on tap for anybody that ever comes over. And she's like, no, you don't. You just want that because you want to drink. Like you want to have the option to drink. And I went to this party, you know, of a friend of mine's birthday. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to drink today. And, you know, I'm at the party and I'm like, I don't really want to be here. And, but this is the type of party I would have like been all about. And I was, that kind of connected the dots to me. I was like, no, you didn't really want to be here with these people. You want to be here because you could drink to excess and kind of blend in. And that's, you know, everything came down to like, all these things you tell yourself, that's your addiction. And like, you know, that's like the proverbial like devil on your shoulder. Right. And so you can say it's, it's this, or it's work or it's clients, or it's, you know, being a good host and being hospitable or being kind to accept the drink than someone offers you. 
you know, all those things, you can say that that's why you did it. But the real reason is because you want to drink. And, mm -hmm. and when I accepted that, I was like, that's so true. Like, you know, why do I pick this friend to hang out with? Because they like to drink, you know what I mean? Or they'll, they'll go to the bar with me and, you know, we'll drink twice as fast as normal people would. Like, that's why I'm friends with them. Like, that's why I picked them to call, to hang out. Like, if you're honest about it, that's the truth. And she did help me certainly realize that. But so back to like say September 15th, my last drink, I had a close friend of mine who's like, you got to come to this hot yoga class with me. I think you'd love it. And so I went to like one class and I did, I was like, wow, that's really, really awesome. So for my birthday, my, my wife got me like a 10 pack of classes. And I remember I went on my birthday. So it's like, what do you want to do? It's your birthday. You can do whatever you want. I was like, I want to go to hot yoga, start the day. And I remember I called my aunt on the way home, who's very close to me, kind of like a second mom that I can like confide in and trust. And I told her that like I was struggling with alcohol at different times. And I told her like, it was the classic, like burning the ships thing where I was like, you know, if you see me drinking, then something went drastically wrong. Okay. I'm telling you this I'm right now. And I kind of need you to like, help me out. And that was like very cut and dry. Like, this isn't like, Hey, I'm thinking about it. Hey, like that clarity I had, like post that yoga class, like you sweat so much, like you just, every, you burn off all the bullshit. I had this mental clarity. And I'm like, if you see me drinking, something's gone drastically wrong. Like that's my saying that I'm going to tell my people when I burn the ships. Right. And it's funny because before that, like I used that, I listened to Paul's book, like alcohol is shit, like a year or two before that. And like at work, I would use that burn the shifts as like a business strategy thing, like to be like fully committed to like something completely unrelated to alcohol. And I would like use it as my like motivational thing to like tell people. And then like, meanwhile, I was like still drinking like a lot, you know, it's so funny, but that was a big deal. And then I just felt really good about it and got it, like, it all kind of came together to where like, I really just don't, don't want to. So, you know, that first month, it, it didn't seem that bad you know, um, and they've all just kind of continued one after another. I don't really have it broken up into phases where like, Hey, I had this early stage where I had the shakes and I had the physical withdrawals. Like I, I don't really see it when I think back that way, but it, even though it's only seven months, like I, the beginning kind of is all a blur to be honest. Yeah, I bet. And I mean, I know that, like you said, you don't have these like markers of exactly like when things change or if they tipped but were there any initial things that you noticed immediately getting better I mean I know that your tolerance you've mentioned that it it was progressively getting higher and higher so immediately like did your sleep get better or were there any just like physical symptoms that right off the bat your body started kind of recalibrating and you could tell yeah I mean I was almost 240 pounds and now I'm like 200 so just like <laughs> you just generally are like moving better, feeling better and you're getting that out of my system. Yeah. You just, it's in your mind, this mental fog, like, you know, all this stuff just kind of leaves you and you don't really want to change that, you know? So I just started feeling, you know, super healthy and, and having like gains in fitness that are a result of being lighter and having energy and being able to get up early. There's been enough like positive to where I, you know, I don't really want to have to go through that again. And I, I think that's what's, what's different this time is that, you know, I have something I really like and I wouldn't prefer to drink. Right. Whereas in the past, it's like drinking would only make things better, you know? So if we're doing something fun, it'll be even funner if we drink. Right. And I took that into almost everything fun. And now you know, I just, it's, it really affected my brain. Like, I think I really was like brainwashed and now like, getting removing it from my system like my brain just doesn't go to that place the same way i love that you know and you did mention right at the beginning that there was a fair warning um because it does tend to run in your family and i'm just curious you know i have young kids too and uh dad in recovery have you thought of extending that warning or having an open conversation with your kids about this i mean i i I know that it's different for parents, but I just, I think it's really cool that your parents did that with you. And I'm wondering if you've even thought about that, knowing that it just does tend to be something that can get passed down. Right. So my daughter's 12 and I did, I think a lot, one of the more noticeable things that would happen when I would drink is like, you know, I could start riding her on stuff. Like just, you know, this needs to be better. This is right or wrong, you know? 
And I knew I was like tough on her certain days. And so a little bit into like quitting, I, I definitely told her like, Hey, I'm, I'm really just going to stop. Like I, I have stopped and I'm, I'm not going to start again. And yeah, I kind of referenced, I was like, I know some of the times when I was like mean or, you know, yelling or whatever, she didn't like, I was thinking she was going to be like, Oh yeah, I remember that. And clearly there was a connection to alcohol. She, she didn't really see it that way. She was kind of just not sure why the behavioral changes would happen, I think. But it is something I plan to do. I have, I'm the oldest of 12 cousins. And I do have, you know, there are cousins that are in their 20s and 30s that I've certainly passed that along to. I was doing that for them even when I was drinking. You know, you know one of my cousins, you know, he, he likes to drink. And I was like, dude, I'm just telling you, like, you know, I got my DUI when I was 23. Like, you got to be careful. But it was always kind of like, hey, of course you're going to do it, but like just when you do it, you know, keep these things in mind. But I do have like a kind of a family reunion coming up in July. It will be almost very close to a year at that point. I'm looking forward to, you know, being able to have some better conversations with my family that looks up to me, you know, at that time. But I, 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 it is out there to my family and, you know, I have some good before and after pictures and we have some text threads and I think people are definitely generally rooting me on. But I don't know that I've really shared the details of like, you know, how bad it really got or how much I really was drinking or anything like that. And I, there'll be more of that to come. But I do have to take this because I, I can't let this uh, go by in the family department. Um, I have a cousin that's just a couple of years older than me that she has always struggled with uh, alcohol, too. And like I told her on Christmas time that I had quit and she was pretty like sober, curious, you know, but she had her birthday and the holidays and all this stuff. She was like kind of wish she, you know, wasn't sure if she wanted to do it, but basically right after Christmas, you know, she stopped too. And so now she's at like 115 days or something like that. And that's like my number one person that we're always talking about. Like, yeah, we, we have these alcoholic genes in us, but we're both like sober now. And it's, she's like my sister. It's like mm-hmm. the best thing ever. It really has been like the coolest uh, accountability partner I could ask for. I love that. In terms of your job, I'm curious about that dynamics, you know, ha- was that hard? Has it been hard? I know that a lot of that identity uh, is wrapped up with the drinking and being able to kind of get to, you know, the errand that would close the deal or whatever it is, you know, how was that transition now that you yeah, have? That's a great drink? question. I, I hope that I can be somewhat, of, I mean, I know there's people that are in outside sales for a living that are drinking a lot as part of their job. And if that's one like demographic I represent, I would, I would say I do. And the hardest part is seeing my own teammates, my own coworkers when we have like sales meetings and stuff, because it's like, we haven't seen each other in so long. We love each other so much. We're so excited to see each other and everybody's drinking. Right. Mm-hmm. That those have been, um, so th- to take a, to answer your question, as many customers as there were out there that wanted to drink and hang out and be sold to that way, there's at least as many they want to be home with their families that would rather just be very much about the business and know that they have somebody reliable. So I've just kind of changed, but I think I'm still fun to hang out with. And if you want to play around the golf or go to a hockey game or something like I will do that and be enjoyable to be around, but it's not going to be a party, you know, and I just found a different way to do it. And it has not suffered the way I feared that it would at all. If anything, like, you know, there was stuff I would promise to do and forget to, to do because I said it when you know maybe I had a couple of drinks and forgot I said it you know all that's kind of removed from the equation so I'm almost I, I think I'm kind of better off but you know just if I can um, one thing I just want to mention like the last 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 thing where I was like all right I'm gonna I'm gonna quit was I had the sales meeting in Las Vegas scheduled and I had two guys trips scheduled and I could tell my wife was like she was not like down with me going in the to these things at the rate I was going with like drinking. And that was, I was like, I'm going to go on all these trips, and I'm gonna, but I'm going to stop before I do. And I ran that gauntlet late last year. I went to Vegas. I went to the Caribbean and I went to like a football weekend with like my brother and all his friends, all three of which would have historically been complete ragers and got through all those without drinking. And I was like, all right, I can do this. Like I, I did enjoy myself. Um, it was different, but I still had fun. Like, I'm good. Like, bring it on. And, you know, running that gauntlet was something that my therapist kind of thought was not a great idea. Like you should, you should not put yourself in those situations, but I really felt it was important Mm. that I kind of like 
baptism by fire that I, that I go face to face with it. And there were some times where I had to leave, you know, right in the middle of stuff just to get out of there. But that was a big thing. Like I was like, it's going to worry my wife way too much for me to go on these trips if I'm actively drinking and, but I really want to go on them. So, you know, I'm going to quit and I'm still going to go on them. And that actually all worked out the way I drew it up, which, you know, certainly could have been much different. You know, I, I appreciate what you said, because I think that we were talking about this earlier too. You know, it, it is different. You said it was different, but it was still fun. And I feel like a lot of our resistance sometimes comes from wanting things to stay the same and accepting that things are going to be different is a big part of the journey that I think, you know, can really either add more strain and stress or just hopefully help ease into it because it is different. There is, I often say, you know, a mourning period or some grief and that's allowed, you know, the, to miss the way that things were. You said you you had some friends growing up that some of your best times were drinking, right? And and those memories can and will always exist. And <laughs> then also room for new and different experiences without drinking. So I just appreciate you just sharing vulnerably. Uh, I think it's important to not kind of bring in toxic positivity into sobriety because things do change for the better. But it is definitely kind of a loss of how things were and new beginnings. So thanks for saying that. And um, how is it though, when you're surrounded by all of these people that perhaps you haven't seen or new friends or social events, getting, getting that question of, do you want to drink? Why aren't you drinking? How do you usually respond to those? Yeah, that has been something that I find that you, know, you can kind of just say something simple, like, no, thanks. But I actually am more comfortable kind of explaining, you know, what's going on with me. You know, if it's someone I don't know, I'll just be like, yeah, you know, I don't drink. And but if it's someone that's like, oh, well, why aren't you drinking this time? Every other time we've ever hung out, you're drinking a lot, right? I, I'm happy to tell them, you know, that I just got to a point where I stopped and I, it feels so good. Like, I don't want to I don't want to change that. I don't want to start back up. And I have no problem saying like, dude, I was just drinking too much, you know, between personal and work, it was drink, 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 drink. And I, you know, it, I think a lot, what I find is when I tell people that, you know, almost immediately between telling them my choice, they start expounding on their own situation. Cause I think a lot of people know that, that they're drinking more than they want to, or they should. And, you know, I, I really was like the kind of the leader in those things. Like I would be like, all right, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And so it's just a different thing, but I was very, that was a huge thing I was concerned about. Like, what am I going to say? Right. And I'm all about just, you know, you're getting a seltzer or a non-alcoholic beer. And, and the other thing too, like, like I said, I, I look a lot different now. So people ask me like, well, what have you been doing? And that's an easy segue to say, like, first thing, the biggest thing is I haven't been drinking, you know, and when I drink, I want to eat cheesesteaks and pizza and ice cream. And, you know, so you, it just goes down this road of unhealthy behaviors. And if I, I find that if I don't drink, then, you know, a lot of that other stuff doesn't really follow either. So it becomes pretty much like a good conversation a lot of the time. I love that. I love that you're comfortable with that. And, and it's great. Yeah. When there is a physical transformation, which is the case for a lot of people and the case not for a lot of people. So whatever listeners, if you, you're not experiencing a crazy weight transformation, that's also normal. But if you are, that's also very normal. So both are true. <laughs> but obviously, when you when it is the case, and people point that out, it's, it's something that's appealing to them or attractive to them, like you said, and then just builds good conversation around health and habits. And, and, you know, it, it becomes easier. So that's good to hear, Aaron. And I mean, I feel like we could talk for a while, but we have reached the rapid fire round. So are you ready for some questions? And I would appreciate your answer in 30 seconds or less. Ready? I'm ready. Yes. All right. If you could talk to young Aaron or to yourself on day one, what would you say? Uh, I would say, dude, you know, you need to do this. You know, you know, you, you've known for a long time that you're drinking too much. You got to stop. And it's going to be the best thing you ever did. What are you excited about right now? Uh, right now, I'm very excited about the job prospects that I like that I have in my current role. Um, being back in sales again with a clear head, I, you know, I kind of the sky is the limit. Um, 
you know, I, I work in a business that's very busy and uh, I get to like attack the day every day without waking up feeling like crap. That's very exciting. Um, my kids are at an amazing age right now where like you, know, you get, you get them to where they're self-sufficient, right? You don't need to pack all the gear and you can really move around efficiently when you travel. So like, we're always traveling, doing fun stuff, either as it relates to these like travel sports they play, or, you know, we just love to get out of town and, and travel. And, you know, I just think we're going to have so many more great trips ahead of us. And the other thing that's exciting is every time I get a bill from a restaurant, I'm like, why is this so low? I don't yeah. understand. So. That's awesome. That's amazing. Because yeah, like you said, now that your kids are older, it's, it's so much fun. You, you get to be there for all of these things. So definitely something that is memorable right now. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? I, my favorite ice cream flavor, you don't always find it is, is apple pie where they have like chunks of apple pie, like in vanilla ice cream. And I was on vacation last week and they had that and it was unbelievable. Also anything halo top. Cause I know I can just eat the whole thing. Yeah. Don't, don't have to be apologetic about it. Like I'm eating this whole thing right now. I'm going to have to try that apple pie flavor. I've never tried it. It's very good. If you like pie crust and, and fruity yes. flavors, you can't beat it. <laughs> What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? I think there's very much like mental things that are, that we all have, but there's certainly incredibly powerful physical things that are going on in your brain and your body. And if you can just get through that first couple of weeks and purge it out of your system, get to that point and then reassess because when you're drinking, like, your body wants to drink again. It's like a physical dependency. Like, how do I get rid of this sluggish feeling? Well, the only thing I know to do is to drink more. And so if you could just get yourself detoxed and clean, I think, and reassess, I think you'll, you'll have different thoughts about it. And before we depart, can you give listeners your own, you may have to say adios to booze if line. Yeah, you know, I was trying to think of something funny and clever and everything else. Um, what I would say is if you find yourself like forecasting the evening, trying to plan out like to make sure you're going to have enough to drink and where you're going to get it and how's it and where's it going to be and what am I going to do? If you're spending time thinking about that, then it, you might want to check in with yourself and, and think about putting it down because that's telling you that more than anything else you got cooking that day, like you're fixated on how you're going to get alcohol. Something's wrong there. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I know that listeners are going to really benefit from your story and learn a lot. So I just, I appreciate you. I'm glad we got to do this. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I really love the podcast. It's been by far my biggest tool in this journey uh, outside of my close friends and family. And um, I just love this podcast and I'm very grateful to be a part of it. Glad that you're here. Thank you so much, Aaron. Be well. Very well, Timari. That wraps up our interview for today. And before I say adios, I want to remind you that you guys make this podcast in this movement. You know, I recently sent out a newsletter asking for feedback in terms of what do you want to hear from us on our social media, in our intros and in our outros? How can we best serve you? Do you want more episodes where we talk about tips on staying sober? Do you want more episodes where we dig into spirituality? Um, just let us know. We are here for you and because of you as well. You know, the podcast keeps growing and we are always grateful and we're open to feedback. So if you have any suggestions on content for future episodes and also for our social media, please email us at info at recoveryelevator.com and let us know what you'd like to hear more of. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside out. I love you guys. Get out of the story. Get out of the story and use the mind to locate the body. Move the energy inside by talking, walking, and most importantly, trusting that the body already knows how to do so. Fight a drinking problem or an addiction because it's trying to tell us something and we must
thinking.